I was about to make a request to my pastor to pray about teaching a particular message. But then it was impressed upon my heart. Why can't you be the one to talk about it? It's been a burden on my heart, so why can't I be the one to teach it? So I decided to be bold. I decided to be courageous. I decided to step up and do it. It may not be a popular message. I've noticed that people tend to want to only hear what I call feel-good messages. And this may not necessarily be considered by some as a feel-good message. If you find yourself in this message, it may make you feel uncomfortable at the very least. However, if you allow it to take root, then change can take effect. If the body of Christ is to be effective, then maybe it's time for the church to feel uncomfortable. It's something that needs to be addressed and heard. It's something that should not exist, especially in the body of Christ. As it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Have I gotten y'all's attention yet? Are you a mean-spirited person? I personally have never heard any messages that addresses the issue of mean-spirited individuals in the church, that is to say, in the body of Christ. That's not to say that those messages don't exist, but I can't say that I've heard any, and I've been in the church for a long time, my friends. However, what I can say is that I have had more than my fair share of dealing with mean-spirited individuals, especially in church. You know, one of my favorite scriptures, it may even be my favorite, is 1 Corinthians thirteen thirteen, And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The Greek word for love in this verse is agape, which is translated into English as charity. We all know what the word love means, or do we? At the very least, we choose not to operate in this love. If I may clarify a bit, love is not a noun. An English teacher taught me many years ago that a noun is a person, a place, or a thing. So I repeat. Love is not a noun. Love is a verb. It is an action word that denotes that you have to do something. Run, walk, talk, dance, sing. <laughs> My point is, one is doing something. So when you love someone or something, you have to do something. You have to express that love by doing something. Next, I want to share another word with you. God dealt with me about this word back in 2016, September to be exact. That word is oxymoron, O-X-Y-M-O-R-O-N. Now, before I give you the definition of the word oxymoron, I found it interesting that the word moron defines part of the word. Now, how can that make any sense? However, simply stated, a moron is just a stupid person, O-X-Y. Oxy precedes the word moron. Oxy is a derivative of the word oxygen. And oxygen is a colorless, odorless, reactive gas. It is a life-supporting component of the air, with emphasis on the words life-supporting. So if we literally put oxy and moron together, 
one could technically say that it is a life-supporting component of the year that is stupid. I said that fast. So take a minute and let that sink in. So now allow me to give you the full definition of an oxymoron. It's a figure of speech in which two opposite ideas are joined together to create an effect. It is a phrase in a combination by an adjective. An adjective is descriptive. It describes something. It is preceded by a noun, which remember is a person, a place, or a thing with contrasting meanings. Examples of oxymorons, bittersweet, cruel kindness, living death, amazingly awful, clearly confused, deafening silence, definitely maybe, and one of my personal favorites, dark light, because as children of the Most High God, we are supposed to be the light of the world. Mean-spirited individuals in the body of Christ is an oxymoron, y'all. We've all heard the expression that God is love. God himself did something to show and express his love for all of mankind before we even knew him. He did and displayed the ultimate act of love by sending his only begotten son to die on the cross for you and for me. Love is action. To address the issue of this message being a burden within me, I must refer to a burden as Paul describes. To quickly recap, we all know that Paul was named Saul and that he was persecuting Christians until he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. After that encounter, his name was changed from Saul to Paul, and he went on to be very effective, teaching, preaching, and mentoring to several disciples as well as several churches. He also was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write much of the New Testament, surprisingly from a jail cell. So as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 9 through 6, 9, 16 through 23, as it is written in the message translation, and I want you to pay particular attention to two things that he said as it relates to this message. Number one, I'm compelled to do it and doomed if I don't. In other words, it's a passion. One feels the necessity to do it. I heard it said, I can't help but do it. I have a case of the, I can't help myself. It is something that burns deep within me that cannot be extinguished. Number two, Paul said, I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. Now, those are Paul's words. However, I needed to reference that scripture so that I could explain what I mean when I say that I carry a burden for this message. I'm the type of person who is very compassionate and I have empathy for other people. That simply means that I have the ability to put myself in another person's shoes, so to speak, so that I can see things from their point of view. A lot of people can only see one point of view, their own. That's not to say that I haven't gotten wrapped up in my own perspective at times, quite to the contrary. But when I realize it, I seek out the truth and I make every effort to right that wrong. But again, it's been my experience that people in the church have been less forgiving. They oftentimes 
find it difficult to get past the offense to extend the very grace that God so freely and lovingly extended to us all. Not holding on to offenses can be challenging, but it's not impossible. If one really has a desire to please God and has a love of God in their hearts, it can become an attainable goal. So now that I have prayerfully laid down the foundation, let me get to the meat of this message that burns so deeply within me. Second Corinthians 13, five says that we are to examine ourselves to see if our faith is genuine. So I pose this question. Are you a mean spirited person in a perfect church? There wouldn't be any such people, but we all know that no church is perfect. However, we should be working on ourselves daily. And if we are doing that, then we should be getting better. We can't be perfect, but we can improve. However, before we can improve, awareness must be realized. Once awareness is realized, then you've already won half the battle, my friends. However, if awareness is never realized, then one becomes stagnant and is unable to change. Let me share something personal from my own experience. I know a mean-spirited person when I encounter one. No disrespect to my ex who unexpectedly passed away in 2018, but I was married to mean and I loved him wholeheartedly, y'all. It was a 32-year relationship and in total 20 of those years, we were husband and wife. Please note that I intentionally use the word mean instead of mean-spirited in this context because he was not a mean person and it broke my heart to get a divorce. Divorce is an awful thing and its effects are deeper than I can even try to explain. I share that to say that being mean-spirited is a spirit that one can carry. I recognize it when I see it. I recognize it when I Feel it. I admonish you not to allow it to affect any of your relationships. A mean-spirited person is one who is harsh, inconsiderate, unsympathetic, abusive, unkind, cruel, intended to be hurtful, someone who loves to see others fail, derogatory, scornful, snide, snotty, unloving, bad, catty spiteful, hateful, malevolent, malicious, nasty, vicious, devious, snake-like, dirty, dishonorable, low, low down, low-minded, vile, wretched, and rude. I don't think that's what Christ intended for his body to look like, y'all. Now, one does not have to possess all those, all those traits to be mean-spirited. And I'm not talking about the occasional blow-ups, but if you possess and display one or more of these traits on a regular basis, and that is the key, then you are, beloved, more than likely a mean-spirited person. There is a popular saying by Maya Angelou, you may not remember what a person said, but you will remember how they made you feel. Sometimes the individual whom possesses the mean spirit doesn't have to say a word for it to be effective. That's because it's a spirit and spirits don't always have to say anything. Some call it throwing shade. To illustrate this point, have you ever been around someone who may not have necessarily said anything negative 
or derogatory or even said anything at all. But while in their presence or after you've left their presence, you feel wounded. You feel hurt. You feel unloved. You just don't feel right. Something is just off. You may be left feeling void of the joy, contentment, and peace that you had before you came into contact with that person. That's because you just had an encounter with a mean spirit. Friends, I say this in love, but this should not be the case. I can't tell you how many times I've walked up to someone with a smile on my face and a pep in my step, seeking to greet that person with a warm hello or a hug or even a kiss. Then they purposely avoid eye contact and their body language is such that alarms are going off. Danger, danger, do not approach. Or you may see a group of these people congregating. I won't even get into cliques in the church, y'all. That's another whole message. That is definitely related. Birds of a feather will flock together. I have received warmer greetings from strangers that I encounter in my day-to-day activities on the street. So when I see those folks walk to the pulpit to greet the congregation or teach a message and they're like, let's praise the Lord, everybody. I, for one, have a difficult time receiving anything they have to say. One thing I cannot be is fake or phony. Friends, we need to get real and take the masks off. If you are mean-spirited, do us all a favor and don't get up in front of people and be anything but less than genuine. People can spot an insincere person miles away. Then we wonder why the world doesn't want to go to church. Why would they? Sometimes church folk don't even want to go to church. I believe that is the reason why the number one fear that people have is public speaking. Why would anyone want to stand in front of a group of people and look out at an endless sea of mean-looking, judgmental, critical-looking faces? I personally don't have a fear of public speaking anymore because I no longer give anyone, or to be more concise, any spirit control over me. That is why I give thanks to my Father in heaven above and the Holy Spirit that dwells within me for keeping me in check and for maturing me to the point that I have dug my heels in and will not allow mean-spirited individuals to run me out of a church where I know God has planted me. I've heard it said that there are a couple of ways one can deal with mean-spirited individuals. Number one, learn to use confident body language. One must become brave and walk in your God-given authority. Number two, point out the behavior, the spirit, because it's not the person. That person is being controlled by a spirit whether they realize it or not. Number three, offer a better suggestion to overcome the problem. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit for guidance. I can't help but imagine what praise groups, speakers and teachers, pastors, etc. have to endure when they step onto a stage in front of a classroom or whatever the forum. I, for one, want to show my love with a big smile on my face and an expression of amen with my voice. One of my favorite pastors who's known for his inspirational message that is always delivered with a smile said, if you're happy, but you're frowning, you need to notify your face. 
Sometimes people just aren't aware of their countenance because they're not used to smiling. I'd like to wrap this up by sharing an analogy about the church as to why people get hurt. Now it's a good analogy as it was explained to me, but I'd like to take it a step further in an effort to offer a solution. I've heard it said that the church is like a hospital. It's full of sick people and sometimes they hurt and infect others unintentionally. Now I can't argue with that. That's why sick people go to hospitals. Likewise, that's why we go to church. However, just like a hospital, if you stand there for too long and you don't take the medicine and do what you need to do, guess what? You can and will most likely die or end up on life support until someone decides that it's time to pull the plug. Some people have been in the body of Christ for years, decades even, and they have not changed. Some have even gotten worse. Sadly, they are still going around unnecessarily and in some cases intentionally infecting others. But woe to those who infect what I refer to as baby saints or those who have just come to know the Lord. And then they come to church and encounter one of these chronically sick individuals. In Matthew chapter 18, 7, it says, woe unto the world because of offenses. Take heed that you despise not one of the least of these little ones. One never knows what an individual is going through at any given time. That person can be in a place in their life where they are contemplating suicide. So they attend a church service out of desperation as a last resort and then they are wounded, sometimes fatally. Friends, you never know when one kind word or gesture, something as simple as a smile can literally be the difference between life or death. Are you affecting people in a positive way or are you infecting people? Are you still in the hospital? Have you gotten to the point where you're on life support or have you been taking your medicine? Have you been diligently doing and following God's commandment to love one another? Are you expressing that love towards one another? When others have an encounter with you, do they walk away feeling hurt, less than, put down, put up with or tolerated, judged or criticized? Or do they walk away feeling loved, uplifted, encouraged, better and energized? As children of God, we are to possess the fruit of the spirit as outlined in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love is action, my friends. God's word says in John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. To borrow a quote from a great inspirational speaker who boldly speaks the word of God in truth, Dr. Miles Monroe. Let us meet you before you die, please. Not the one that the culture made. Let us meet the one that's on the inside. The one that God created you to be.